Hi, this is Marnie with Maxim and Marnie, a podcast I get to do with members from my church community, and it gives everyone an opportunity to share their story. Maxim is a synonym for truth, um, so we are... The goal is to have people share um, their true stories and their true moments um, in an effort to make us stronger as a community. So today, we have Matt Cassidy. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. Now, Matt, I have known you for a really long time because you were a high school member. Indeed, yes. When I started high school mentoring. Yeah, yeah, many years ago. Yeah, circa, that's great. Although I'd like to admit. So did you grow up here at the church? (laughs) Um, So yes and no. I actually, I moved around a lot as a kid uh, when I was younger. So a lot of people think that I've lived in Naperville my whole life, which is not true. I actually was born in Kentucky, which many people don't know. Moved around, lived in Atlanta. Why were you moving around? Um, In the early years, it was a lot because of uh, my parents' jobs. So we would move, we'd relocate um, from one place to another, a new opportunity would come up. So we'd move and we were pretty young and we were doing that. Um, so I lived in, a, in Louisville, moved to Atlanta, and then um, actually had a, a little more serious reason for moving um, when my parents got divorced when I was six years old. Um, and we moved here to Naperville to um, my sister and I moved in with my grandparents, my mom's parents here in Naperville. So that's actually how we ended up here in 1990. So with far. your mom? With my mom, yes. And you have maintained a relationship with your dad? Yeah, yeah. Um, Honestly, uh, people talk about divorce in a lot of different ways. And I can say for my family, it was probably the best possible scenario. Um, I still have a great relationship with both my mom and dad. Uh, I talk to my dad regularly. My mom still lives here in town as a member of our church, as a matter of fact. So see her pretty regularly. Um, but it just seemed to be a good fit. Um, it also gave me the opportunity to have a stepmother who's really great and a half-brother and half-sister. How are so you really- so healthy with that? Because what? They just modeled that. They modeled... It didn't work for us, but we just still love each other, and it's all so healthy. Yeah, I think uh, for a lot of different reasons, my parents were very good about it, um, very intentional about trying to make things as normal as possible, as healthy as possible. Um, So they were really focused on doing what was right for us as kids, and so that modeling was really important. But also I think... You know, that was many, many years ago at this point. Right. So there was there was hurt. There was frustration. There were challenges. Um, but over the course of life, I've really been able to see how it provided me with a lot of different opportunities that I wouldn't have otherwise had in a lot of different ways. Um, so I do have a different relationship with my dad, but I think it brought me closer <coughs> in some ways. Um, getting to move here, we moved in with my grandparents, who were actually members here at Our Saviors Once Upon a Time, Ken and Colleen Gravel. And they were another great influence on me and how I grew up, and particularly my faith life. So I saw it really as an advantage that I got to bring more people into my life regularly who were teaching me really powerful and impactful things. What did they teach you? More your grandpa or more your grandma? So both of them. I had a really great relationship with both my grandparents, um, but I learned a lot from my grandfather in particular about how to treat others. He was an incredibly generous and magnanimous person, always looking to make connections personally and hear people's stories. And one of the things that I, that I try to emulate um, from him was that he was a tremendous listener. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful skill, which I think unfortunately is lacking sometimes in our current society. And he always had a free moment, no matter what he was doing, he could be busy doing something. And even as a kid, if I approached him with some out of the box question or idea, no matter what he was doing, he'd always put it down and stop and take a moment to, moment to focus on me or my sister. So I learned that patience and I learned um, that attention to people from him 
him, which has been really important in my life. That's really beautiful. Like, I love that. Is he still with us? Uh, he unfortunately is not. Um, he passed away in 1999, but... Um, <clears throat> Through my uncles, through my family, we have a lot of great memories. And I just know he did, unfortunately, pass at a younger age. Um, So the fact that I got to spend years living with him gave me so much more opportunity to learn from him than I otherwise would have. Yes, so rich. That's fabulous. And what did he do for his career? He was, uh, he worked for Sears. And so he actually got bounced around quite a bit as well. He worked in upper management. So they would move him. So my poor mom and her brothers moved from South Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to Louisville, Kentucky, to Chicago, Illinois. Like every two or three years, they were always moving, um, which is so tough if you think about um, adolescence to Mm -hmm. be kind of uprooted every two and three years and and get moved around a lot. That's really tough. Um, And I moved around a lot when I was younger. I moved a couple of times in middle school. But my mom, I remember her telling me very young, she's like, I'm not going to have that happen for you guys. We're going to have a place and settle. We're not moving in high school. I don't want you guys having to do that. But um, I think that's one of the natural benefits of moving as well is you learn people skills because you're constantly having to reintroduce yourself to people. You're constantly having to meet new people, make new friends. Well, you chose to do that. You could choose to not do that, right? You, it could be very isolating and very lonely, but good for you that you didn't do that. You took that. Yeah, I suppose that's true. It really is a matter of perspective, um, how you choose to go about something. Um, And thankfully, again, because of my family members and the places I've lived, and I've just always been really lucky and really blessed to have really great friends in life, which is not something that everybody can say, but I've always just been lucky enough to find the right people to help me grow and support me and um, keep me in check when I might want to make a foolish decision. (laughs) Who, Who are your siblings? So I have one full sister, Katie, who's six years younger than me. And then I have a half brother and half sister, though I just consider them full siblings. Um, Avery's just a couple of years younger than Katie. And then my youngest sibling is my brother, Jack. He's actually 15 years younger than me. So it's a pretty significant age difference. But fun. And are you close with Katie? Yeah, I'm very close with Katie. Uh, Katie, who's also a member here at Our Saviors, she... um, People tell us all the time that we're a lot in common. We have a very similar sense of humor. Our delivery, our style, the way we talk um, is all very similar. And I think part of that is just because we spent a lot of time together growing up as any brother and sister. Um, But especially, I think, in a single family home, which we had for quite a bit of it, we really relied on each other Mm -hmm. quite a bit. So, yeah, we're very close today. That's so awesome. So then in high school, who was your longest friend? You said you're so lucky with friends. Who's the friend that you've had the longest? Um, looking back, I, um, my best, one of my best friends growing up was a guy named Rob who just happened to live in the house directly behind where we lived. Um, so I met him playing soccer in the backyard, and he just happened to be in my first grade class. First grade is when I moved here. So I've known him since about 1990, and we stayed friends throughout high school, went to different colleges, but have maintained a friendship, You know, stood up in each other's weddings, still see each other. He used to live in Chicago. Now he um, lives in Colorado. A little bit harder to stay in mm-hmm. touch on a physical basis that way. Um, but quite a few of my my close friends from high school I'm still in touch with. I travel. And those high school friends, were they from Ignition or from high school? So that's a great question. I am one of those people who had multiple sets of friends and wasn't opposed to bringing them together, but didn't necessarily bring them together. So I have a close group of friends from high school and then kind of a wider group of friends who I was acquaintances with, would hang out with sometimes, but not necessarily somebody that I stayed in touch with for a long time. Some of those people were also members of the senior high program when I was here. You know, um, I had friends like Chris Franz and Sam Skromowski and Chad Bileski, and they were kind of my entry point into the high school program. I had, um, I went through Logos when I was on Thursday nights here 
here for junior high, enjoyed it. That was great. I'd actually moved in middle school, so my confirmation was broken up between two different churches, between here and Hilton Head Island, and then came back. Hilton Head, like South Carolina. Yeah. So a pretty significant uh, change, not only in um, environment, but also I went from a youth program here that had, you know, hundreds of kids to Hilton Head Island, which is a wonderful place to be, but had seven kids in an entire middle school program (laughs) going through confirmation, so it looked a little bit different. Um, But then I actually... Freshman year of high school here, I kind of showed up, but didn't really connect, and it kind of dropped away a little bit. And then sophomore year, I was really not coming very often. And then out of the blue one day, my grandmother called me, who lived in Hilton Head Island, and said, I can't wait to see your choir come down and sing this summer. And Eagle's Wings mm-hmm. um, and Ministry Tour had scheduled their their ministry tour to come to go through the Carolinas. And she knew about it before I did. So obviously I had not been attending. So I thought, well, I need to make some changes here pretty quick and uh, showed up to Eagle's Wings uh, the following Sunday. And Mrs. Potnish greeted me kindly and said, I know somebody who got a call from their grandmother. Wow. <laughs> um, and that trip was really... Um, life-changing for me in a lot of different ways. Just because of what we were doing, I love to sing. I love to be in a group doing something purposeful. But also, I had the opportunity to meet all these people that I didn't have a relationship. And at that time, we were riding in vans, you know, a thousand miles through Kentucky, through Georgia, through the Carolinas. They were breaking down everywhere. They were breaking down occasionally. Just adds to the fun, you know, an extra challenge or two. And for us, I think for most high school students, but for me in particular, I was away from my family. So I was on my own, but Mm -hmm. with this like cool group of friends. So it was a new form form of freedom and all these people who were so fun and exciting. And it really set the stage for the rest of my high school career and my connection to, to being part of the senior high program and being much, much more involved, showing up for everything, being part of the service trips and all the ministry tours and really was life changing for me in a, a very significant way. When you said, like, yeah, if when the vans broke down, it just added to the fun, how do you think you became so positive or such a great way to spin things or such a, uh, was that your grandpa, your mom? Like, who was in your life that was doing that? Or was it just that group, that group of peers just laughing their way through misery or whatever? Yeah, I think it's a mix of those things. Uh, My grandparents were positive. My mom is positive. Um, so I do think they instilled some of that, try to look for the bright side kind of thing. But I did realize pretty early on just from significant things that had happened, you know, whether it was my parents, um, divorce or having to move, which felt pretty traumatic. Um, and then moving to Hilton Head, which also felt pretty traumatic. I was losing my friends, Mm -hmm. you know, at a a pretty tender age. I, I pretty quickly realized that. I could be sad and upset about it, and that would be fine too, but that wouldn't go well for me. I would dwell on that, and it wouldn't do me any good to go to South Carolina and talk about how great my friends were in Naperville, Mm -hmm. you know, so I needed to find a way to be positive about it and realize that the experiences were good, and I was lucky to have those friendships, so... Any given day, things are going to happen. You know, we have plans. I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't always work out for me. <laughs> you know, plans change, especially with two young kids. Um, things happen that are often outside of my plan, and how I adjust to it changes the way they respond to it. And I think the same thing with my parents. And on those choir tours, um, now it's ministry tour, but at the time it was choir tour, it gave me the opportunity to connect in a deeper way with my friends. We were just along for the ride anyway. Mm-hmm. We weren't driving, so whether or not we were hanging yeah. out together in a van or in a gas station, <laughs> or at a church, right. we were still getting to do the thing that was 
so fun for us. I love that. So why did you move to Hilton Head? Or how long were you there? <clears throat> we lived in Hilton Head for two years. We moved there. Uh, my grandparents, who had lived in Naperville, had retired. We stayed here. Um, and then my grandfather had gotten sick. Um, he had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, he had treatment, processed, recovered. Things were going well. And then he had... Um, gotten cancer a second time. And so we knew that health-wise, it's not a great sign. So we had moved down there to be closer. Again, my mom, my sister, and I, and uh, we lived with them. So we really moved to be closer to them during a, a health struggle. So you were like a caretaker? Uh, I would definitely not say that I was a caretaker uh, <laughs> in this sense. I think probably, especially as a middle, middle school student, I was probably a welcome distraction Yeah. Um, in terms of um, being loud and having mm -hmm. a lot going on. And I think my grandparents really welcomed that. Uh, even my grandfather, when he was very, very sick, um, in the summers, all the cousins would come down. They had a pool in their backyard. We'd have great times. And they just loved having family around them. So I do think it was kind of a buoying effect. But I remember he was very sick. And we were swimming in the pool. And my grandmother came outside. And she said, you guys, I need you to be quiet. Your grandfather really needs rest. He's really feeling sick. And she went inside. Mm. And my grandfather called out for her and said, please don't tell them that. I just love to hear the sounds of their joy. You oh. know, So oh. they were so family-centric, too, that... They really welcomed the opportunity to have us there. And it was really, it was great because it's, yeah. a, it's a challenge and it was an awful thing, but it also gave us a little more intentionality about behind the time of what we were doing and how we were spending it together. Yeah. I just have a crush on your grandpa, I think. He was amazing. Oh, I know. Oh my goodness. I know. Was he a looker? <laughs> <laughs> a stud in his time. Let's say that he was. Um, so you talked about how like it changed your life that sophomore year from the choir tour. Was there like a spiritual moment, or was it the fellowship, or like what? Where was your development in your faith? So faith wise. Um, my family has always been Lutheran, um, you know, growing up in all those places we belong to church communities. I liked going to church, liked, uh, I liked singing the songs, like getting to open the hymn book. But I think it was more academic, more thought oriented in a lot of ways. I saw the relational side, but I didn't really have as much of that until confirmation. Um, confirmation, I, I started to develop more intentional friendships. I had Sunday school and that was great, but it wasn't the same as middle school where, you know, your peer relationships are going increasingly mm -hmm. important in terms of the way that you interact and you spend time with people. Um, so I started getting that here in Naperville, moved to South Carolina, had this small group of about six or seven, and we became really close knit um, to the point that even when I moved back here, I moved back to Naperville, so I actually should have been confirmed here, but because so much of my confirmation happened in Hilton Head, we traveled a thousand miles, packed up the car, drove down there, I got confirmed in that church oh, wow. um, and came back here. And so I think for the first time, not the first time, but I, I found a deeper level of the connection of the fellowship piece that relationship piece, which is really how I continue to connect now, that, right. that relationship aspect. That there are other ways I connect to my faith, but that's so meaningful in, in terms of the conversation we're having, the way we lean on one another, support. Um, and that was kind of my first introduction to that through this particular faith community. Now, that's changed many times over as I've grown and gotten older and things have happened, but um, that fellowship aspect really pulled me. The music really pulled me and made me think deeper about my faith. Um, I love that. And you fell in love with a girl from youth group. I did, yes. I sure did. Yeah. yeah. So you guys were in high school? 
Yeah, so um, Lachelle, we were friends in high school. We knew each other in high school. We didn't start dating until college. Um, We had known each other, like I said, great friends for quite a few years. Started dating um, right before college. There's a couple year difference. I... um, I was a transfer student and I was looking for where I wanted to go next. Wasn't really sure uh, what I wanted to do. Visited a bunch of colleges. This is going to sound different from everything else I've said. It was very positive. Didn't really love anywhere that I visited for my college trips. I had gone to big schools. I'd gone to small schools. um, And uh, Lachelle had also gone and visited. And we'd been dating such a short period of time. We weren't going to make college decisions based on what the other person Mm -hmm. said. So we were going to come to independent conclusions. Um, And she had known that she wanted to go to Valparaiso University. Say that again. (laughs) Valparaiso Mm, University. Interesting choice. (laughs) Um, I do concur. Yeah, School of Champions. Um, But at that time, I wasn't sure if that's where I wanted to attend just yet either. Um, I did like the aspect. I was so involved in the faith community here, both through the high school program. And at that point, I had started mentoring at the junior high program. And it was really important to me and I had taken a college visit and visited um, a couple of friends, Aaron and Dan, um, Aaron Votava and Dan Byrne, who were at school there. And um, so they walked me through it and we talked kind of about the strengths. And I think I maybe had a different, little bit of different comfort level there, but what I really wanted was a place where I could have another faith community and could continue to grow in my faith as opposed to just academically. So we ended up independently there, um, but we stayed in our relationship, obviously, and, and we really grew as time went on. So yeah, we... I fell in love, and uh, the rest is history. Did she live in the faith house? No, she actually, so she transferred in as, or she came in as a freshman. I actually ended up in the fellowship house. Fellowship house, um, that's what it's called. Just yeah. by pure chance. It's just one of those things A whole where bunch of church nerds in one space. <laughs> it was great. Uh, I would say church cool people. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But They're all <laughs> church workers now, or somehow, like, still really, like, it was a good thing for that group of people. I hung out there. Don't worry. Yeah, it was really strange. This is just one of those things where God looks out for you in a way that you're that's unexpected. When I was filling out my paperwork, I was coming in as a junior and I was looking for a dorm. Um, I had really high standards. I was looking for a dorm that had air conditioning. Sure, I get it. <laughs> um, and there There's weren't no so many on to campus. Have that. Yeah. Um, so I had asked for the specific residence at this place, 807 Mount, not knowing that it was known as the Christian Fellowship House, which was an intentional Christian community that they'd started just a couple years previous. So it was kind of um, fledgling and kind of coming into creation at the time and then happened to be placed there. So it was a smaller community, but we had... um, we had people who had just the most deep theologic academic understanding of faith, and then people like myself who didn't <laughs> necessarily, um, which was really great. And uh, I just happened to meet a lot of really great friends there in that community. Um, Pastor Brian and I, we overlapped at the same time. So I don't, we probably met once or twice, but I don't yeah. have a real recollection I was of you, closer but I with your a lot roommate, of friends. Nate. Yeah, Nate Hall, great dude. Great dude who is, in fact, a pastor now, not surprisingly. Um, But yeah, a good number of my friends, um, we have a lot of overlap between friends, and many of them did go into church roles. Ministry or professorships or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentor high school youth, and so do you at Ignition, and typically we don't get to do small group with one another, but there was a year, several years ago, where we got to double up, I think because like we had small group groups are, are like we didn't have a ton of people in attendance True. and I got to listen to you uh, explain things and I was so blown away by how wise and how articulate and how 
articulate but not fancy. Like it was very attainable what you were saying, and I just had such deep respect for it. So I think they're really lucky that we have you in our community to do that. Well, thank you for saying that's incredibly kind. It must have just been on a good night. No, nope. you know, just been living off that one for all <laughs> these years. But um, that is one thing that I find so valuable. Now you're right. We don't meet in small group um, with our students, but we do have um, small group meetings before, and I find that that mentor community is really fantastic. I love hearing the perspectives on faith, whether we're doing devotionals or we're just talking about um, how we can better reach students or talk about difficult topics. I find that time invaluable. Do you feel the same? I feel like it's grown a bunch Sure. in the last month or two. Like I feel like that intentional devotional time that Stephanie's been leading us in, I feel like has aided in that like a ton. Like I love that. For you as mentors. Yes, because I feel like um, in past years, it's just, it's always been changing and growing and different. But I think before... you know, going over, oh, okay, this is the calendar, basically, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to let's dive in and talk about in kind of nurture where we're at and how to reach the kids where they're at, I think has been really powerful. Yeah, I think the intentional devotional has been great. And we've been lucky enough to have several really talented youth directors and their talents have gone in different directions mm-hmm. in terms of how uh, people go about it. So and even the mentor group has changed over the years. I mean, there are some people who've been around for Dave years. Dave Hammond. <laughs> Dave Hammond, who old. Uh, is phenomenal. And my mentor <laughs> partner and may or may not have been a high school mentor when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we also have newer people coming in. So I love to see the way that that mix grows, too, mm-hmm. because there's just so many skills and talents that are coming to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And it's really incredible to see and be a part of. Marnie just interviewed Lisa Solner. And, oh, like, yeah. I've gotten to know her. But, like, after hearing her story on here, I'm like... Oh, I'm so happy you are there with those youth. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I love it. Really uh, she talks a lot about, I think her story, which I think is interesting, is about how doubt and faith, and I'm not going to be afraid of that doubt, but I'm going to leap in. Do you remember when she started mentoring? I do. Yeah. And that's kind of how she led. Yeah. Like I'm kind of struggling. Awesome. And so I'm going to come here. And I just think that's such an amazing, strong, honest way that we're all dealing with it. And I think that's so part, such an important part of the authenticity of what we do, right? Because we've all heard kind of like the Sunday school answer mentality, like the answer is always Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. or the answer is always love. And those are the answers to lots of questions. But I think it's really brave and important for our high school students or our middle school students or other parents or other people in our faith community to know that we struggle and deal with doubt as well. You know, that's a really important part of faith. So to be with somebody who's being authentic and showing that side I think really just strengthens faith and strengthens that connection. Because if I feel like you're going to be honest with me in a group setting, that's going to make me more engaged, more involved, and more directly involved with that aspect. I think it's really important. And Lisa is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And I kind of feel like that setup is is like um, you're not you're not treating them like children anymore. No, we're all on the same level of ground, mm-hmm. which yeah. they don't have that in their school life. Maybe not in their family life. You know, so to have your church say we respect you enough to 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 speak to you normally, like that's that's huge. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's exciting to be a part of. Um, so talk to me about um, graduating from Valpo and the path that you are on with your career, because I find it to be exciting and inspiring. Yeah, so at Valpo, <clears throat> I was trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with my life, um, like most college students. And I was kind of honing in on being a social studies teacher, history teacher, love history. Um And during that time period, I am old enough that not everything was always online. You couldn't access Mm -hmm. everything 
with the yeah. internet. I and, mean, it was uh, so hard. The was, card catalog, the books. That book might not be the book. That might not, yeah. Oh. And uh, in our program at Valpo, since it's a smaller school, one of the things that I think is really great is your professors are your advisors. Mm-hmm. And in order for you to actually unlock your ability to register for classes, you have to meet with your professors. And I had wonderful, wonderful, wonderful professors at Valpo. Who, was, I, your, who was your advisor? I wasn't going to say it for uh, a specific reason. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, I, I was, I'll, can I ask you some... later? Yes, you sure I, I have a favorite history like class that I've ever taken in my whole life. And I'll say his last name, Schaefer. Yeah, Schaefer was actually my advisor. So he's not going to be the person that I'm going to mention <laughs> okay. here. And not okay. the most full positive light. Okay, okay. Um, but if you were in education, you had to double major. Okay. And the education program was being totally reworked. So all the yeah. requirements, the classes were completely changing. Mm-hmm. So I had my history major, which was Professor Schaefer, who I actually never had a class with, but had interactions just because of um, the one-on-ones. But you didn't have positive one-on-ones with him. I no, did. he did. Oh, okay, okay. Not the oh, the other one. Okay. We're so, not mentioning the name. The best class I've ever taken in my life. Like, I actually learned where countries were on the globe, and he told his personal story through teaching. I'm just saying, highly recommend Schaefer. Yeah, I had great, great professors um, at Valpo where I really learned. And one of the things, and I'll get back to this in just a moment, but one of the requirements, at least when I was there, is that you had to take a foreign language, which was really great, although challenging, particularly for me. Um, But you also had to have um, two theology classes. And in taking those theology classes as somebody who has you know, been in a church setting, they really challenged my faith in a different way. In particular, talking with the professors, because it wasn't just like, let's all come in and talk about how great Christianity is. It was mm. the furthest thing from it. It was meant to challenge your faith and the way you interact yeah. with texts. And that was really important for me as well. Um, but to get back to sorry, the, the other aspect is, so I was also majoring in education. And my professor for education who was advising me, great guy, had him in class, really fantastic, great world experience, but he was um, nearing 80. And perhaps was not 100% up to date on the changing Mm -hmm. guard and the way the classes were about. So my senior year, I walked in thinking that everything was on track. And he told me, you know, I'm sorry, Matt, but you're going to have to stay an extra year. And I just couldn't afford that. There's no way. And I was kind of having some doubts as to whether or not I wanted to be a teacher anyway. Um, So, But I did know that I wanted to work with people and I wanted to work with youth. So I thought, I'm just going to graduate in four. And then if I want... If I really do want to be in education, I'll go back and get a master's for essentially the equivalent of mm-hmm. what it was to go if you were right. Apo. Right. Um, and when I, one of the things that I had, I had found out through college, not because of college, was that I really loved mentoring. I had worked with a junior high program here, and then when I went to Valpo, I worked with a church in Valpo, and just really loved that experience and found that that relationship, specifically working with middle school students, which is um, a population that a lot of people are scared of, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps doesn't get the love that it always deserves, but just really, really enjoyed it. And decided that maybe social work, I had taken some social work classes, would be a good fit for me. So coming out of school, I um, jumped into social service and I worked for um, an organization based downtown Aurora that was really focused on mental health and specifically um, substance use prevention. And so I got to do a lot of really fun things. I got to be in the classroom um, and meet with students on a regular basis. I'd be in a class 10 times a quarter. So I got to build a rapport with the students, get to know them and their personalities and equip them with some really important development 
developmental skills in terms of like things that seem silly to talk about, but you really do have to learn them like goal setting, communication, peer pressure refusal, how to cope with stress or handle your emotions, all things that are really important because if you don't have a handle on those things, you're more likely to maybe make an unhealthy decision because you've just not had the practice or you might not have the right framework to approach. Um, But I got to do things like... um, interact in an after school program and a, in a summer school program. My wife never lets me forget about this. My wife is a nurse in a hospital setting and she, I'm so proud of her. She's so smart. She's so bright. She's so good with her patients and she's working with people who are um, dealing with organ transplant or coming off of cardiac events. So she has this really adult job. And I remember um, I made the mistake of telling her uh, one day when I came home from my job where we had done an, uh, a summer summer program that um, I had an ice cream eating sandwich, yes. ice cream sandwich eating contest yes. at work, which for the record, yes. I'd love everybody to know that I did win. Thank you. So I'm very Thank happy you. about Good. that. Yeah. Yep. Um, Stand you know, in the presence later. of a real hero. How many, how many did you eat? It was a speed contest. So I, mean, I would not be able to do endurance. So yeah. it was just one. Um, and I was oh. able to... Devour. To accept the challenge of that day yes. and beat both my coworkers and students who <laughs> had, had uh, accepted the challenge. But I made the mistake of telling her that. So um, on days when I would come home from work, she'd say, oh, tough day at the office. Yeah. Did you not win the ice cream sandwich? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's got legs. That's got so, a long way to live. Yeah, Ouch. so that was a mistake. I should have told her that in the future, probably after retirement. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> So that was a really great experience. Loved doing that. And I was hired there actually based on my mentoring experience. So I, um, I was a co-coordinator of a mentoring program through the 204 schools at the, ment- at the middle school and high school level where I would find mentors to work with students during the lunch hours with kids um, who could perhaps just use uh, another dedicated life, a dedicated adult in their life. Somebody spend some time with them and kind of talk through um, the, the stresses of growing up and dealing with academics and uh, really loved that. Did that for about 10 years until um, three years ago, I actually jumped to a, a different nonprofit that's located here in Naperville called 360 Youth Services. And what I do now is I am part of a coalition called the Community Alliance for Prevention, and we work to create population level change and systematic change here in our community, again, focused on mental health and substance use prevention. So essentially what we do is we're just trying to join collaboration efforts. So we work with the school districts, the healthcare systems here in the community, parents, we have youth, and just trying to get everybody at the same table to figure out how we can deal some of the address and deal with some of the huge public health issues that that we see both nationwide here in our community. Um, So it's really interesting on a day-by-day basis. I'm one of those people who needs to have um, purpose and cause in what I'm doing. It's really important for me. um, And that's what what gives me drive. Um, And Every single day, there is something new that needs to be addressed. And every day is different for me at work. You know, some days I'm in and I'm writing a letter to somebody. Some days I am... Writing a letter like to who? Could be to anybody. I could be writing a letter to a parent who's calling me because they're in, you know, crisis because perhaps they found something in their child's room that they wish that they had not. Or their kid is dealing with something that they just don't know how to have a conversation about. Or I might have to be meeting with... Um, legislators, you know, both at the state or federal or local level talking about a particular issue. One thing that comes up all the time right now is e-cigarettes and vaping because we hear so much about it. We hear so much about the dangers, but people really don't know that much about it. So, um, you know, like the school districts have brought me in to do assemblies or to be in classrooms or a lot of um, parent 
presentations where I'm standing up. Churches have brought me in to talk to their constituents because they want to be responsive to an important issue. And I want to be there too, because the last thing we want is parents and teens feeling like they're overwhelmed by something. And so often we have the resources. We live in a resource-rich area. So there are resources for these things, but it's hard to find them when Mm -hmm. you're not sure what's going on or how to deal with it and address it. Will you talk about uh, the one time you mentioned we shouldn't call it vaping because it's not water? Sure. Yeah. So we know that advertising and branding is really important, right? No matter what we do, I'm going to spare all the listeners and I'm not going to start singing jingles for advertising like I will sometimes do in a classroom setting. But if I start to say the first couple numbers of the Luna or Mm -hmm. the Empire commercials, Mm -hmm. people can finish them. If I did the first couple notes of the Diddy for McDonald's, people could jump in and finish it. So branding is so important because it can change the way we think about something. So e-cigarettes came on the market several years ago, but then they changed the way that we talk about them. E-cigarette has a negative connotation. We know (laughs) cigarettes are harmful. We know that they're dangerous. But when we say vaping, we don't have a a pre-existing connotation for that. When Mm -hmm. we think about, we do think about water vapor and water vapor doesn't sound harmful at all. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about humidifiers, think Mm -hmm. about the way we talk about vapor, but unfortunately it's not vapor that's coming out of these devices. It's aerosol. That's the CDC language. And there are all kinds of harmful ingredients and chemicals that can do damage. And of course, most vaping um, devices utilize either nicotine, which is a psychoactive ingredient or marijuana oils, THC oils. So we're not dealing with this harm substance. Um, They've been really smart about the way they've advertised it and they've advertised flavorings. So, you know, cotton candy, creme brulee, mango, things like that, that again, minimize the risk. Traditionally, if somebody picked up a cigarette and they smoked it, it burns their eyes, they cough, it's a negative experience. It tastes like tobacco, which is gross. It's bitter for even people who've been using it long-term are not saying they love the taste of tobacco. All of a sudden you don't have that anymore. You're having cotton candy or mango or moose pie or something like that. So it makes it harder to connect the dangers that go with it. And especially if you're, um, we know a lot of adults don't understand that, but especially if you're a high school student and you're just seeing this advertised as a healthy way to smoke or smoking without the worry or the concern, it's going to make you more likely to potentially make an unhealthy decision just because you don't have the education awareness about right, it. Right, you're just ignorant. Um, okay, can you also talk about, we do a drink, I said this one time and somebody was like, what? I said it wrong. We don't have a drinking night at Ignition. I we came to have that night. a I night. Came. Yes, I was there. Drinking night, yeah. Uh, we don't have a drinking night at Ignition. We have a night um, where we kind of rotate every three, four years where we kind of do a party um, and everybody gets a cup and it represents something. But I always worry, and I loved when you spoke at the last one specifically um, of making it seem to the kids when you're talking about like we don't want you guys to like necessarily get drunk all the time it's not the best option but making them feel like everybody else is doing it I remember being a freshman in high school and we had a speaker come to an assembly and I left that assembly who knows what he really said but what I resonated was well everybody's having sex and everybody's drinking and smoking and doing drugs. And I thought, man, I'm not, I'm not doing those things. Like, should I be doing those things? Because (laughs) this guy just told me everybody's doing it and my friends aren't doing it. And so I just think there's a great balance and you handled that beautifully. So talk about what you got up and said after we um, did the solo cups. So one of the things I love about Ignition is that we talk about faith 
in so many different ways, but we also talk about practical application, things that are happening in teens' lives, the things that they're going through. And one thing that we've known for forever is alcohol, tobacco, peer pressure. Those things, they're just always going to be there for our youth. And I think it's really great that the church looks to address that because that's really important. And so, yes, I would probably not use the uh, the language drinking night, uh, <laughs> but when we that is a really important thing for us to discuss. And the teens need to hear that message. I've had different groups. Sometimes I have groups that are really gung-ho and have a lot of questions I want to talk about. And I also have groups who are unsure to how to have that conversation. Um, and it is really important for people to know. We look at data. There's something called the Illinois Youth Survey. It happens across the state. It's totally anonymous. And they track youth trends across the state. And what we see, even with alcohol, which is the most commonly used um, substance by people who are underage, the vast majority of students are not drinking. So it's really important for kids to know that, right? That you're not the only one not doing it. Because if you think you are the only one who's not doing it, just like you explained, it creates an inherent pressure. What am I missing out on? Am I truly the only one not doing this? Am I not cool because I'm not doing this? And all of a sudden, it's planning doubt and changing your thought process around this. So we talk a lot about misperceptions and perceptions. And that's one that we're constantly trying to address because we don't want everybody thinking that. So that night I did want to offer because um, I, I remember one time we talked about some of the just um, some raw numbers about youth who use or might be drinking. And so I thought it was important to just share that the majority of students aren't. So please don't feel pressure to do that because everybody else is. And we tend to hear more often about people who are just because you always hear about something somebody doing something that's unusual. You know, if somebody gets in trouble for drinking, that story's going around the school six times over. You're hanging in the hallways. You're seeing that social media. You know, the story you don't hear about, the people who like hung out and play basketball with their friends and like watched a movie because that is more typical normative behavior. The other thing that I think is important for people to know is we all make choices that perhaps we wouldn't make again. So just because somebody might make the choice to pick up a drink the first time, that doesn't mean people are bad or shouldn't, people shouldn't be around them. And in my field, I hear a lot of judgment-based conversation. And that's not helpful because those judgments will drive people farther away and alienate. What we want to do is just meet people wherever they are, kind of on the spectrum. If people are no use, maybe experimenting and trying to figure out, maybe you're somebody who's used long-term and we want to try to move away from that, just giving them, again, the skills that they need to make the right choice and the healthy choices. And I think that's really important here. And I think that was where was trying to be focused on in that night was saying, you know, whatever decisions you're making, we love you. And let's talk about how we can make the healthiest choices. So if you do need somebody to pick you up, you know, at 12 o'clock at a party because you can't drive and some making those decisions is really helpful. And it is empowering to feel like you have adults in your corner. And I think that's one of the greatest things about the ignition program and these high school programs and the middle school programs is I don't know any kids who couldn't benefit from another dedicated adult in their life who's invested and cares about them. I mean, it was really important for my life growing up. And I just, I have, again, yet to meet a kid who is like, no, I'm good. I have all the care and love I have in my life. I don't need more than that. So um, that night, it was really powerful to see the mentors rally around and talk about how we can keep our kids safe. But I do just really want to stress that most kids aren't. And that's important, too, because we don't want to create any more pressure for youth than they're already experiencing. I love that. And I love how you say like, we don't need to judge and shame if you've done it once. Like, I think there's a real balance to that. Like I was just, we had this conversation with somebody else on here and I was just saying, I think there's a real healthy balance of saying, we just love you. And that is okay that you made that choice. And this is kind of developmentally appropriate 
as well to kind of experiment as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And judgment and shame that just don't really get you anywhere constructive down the line. Right. You know, I, I think that's perhaps something that people have been used for forever. We talk about that modeling piece. We've seen that for a long time. But as we get more research and science about how we should be talking with our kids and how we should be having conversations, we find that judgment and shame really just closes down that avenue. It often makes it less likely that your student will come to talk to you about something in the future because they felt shame. They felt judged. Right. And then they're going to say, well, I don't want to do that again because that felt really bad. And so then they're less likely to have those conversations that are so important for us to be having with our kids. Can you give an example of how you think a parent would really um, be heard by their student um, if they come home and say like, yeah, I like, I got drunk last night, mom, at a party. Yeah, it's a great question. So what we stress, whether it's somebody who's had an experience, somebody who's curious, somebody who just wants to talk about it because they don't know what they're talking about, we kind of always go back to the big drug conversation. I'm assuming both of you guys had this conversation with your parents, the drug conversation. It's awful, right? Your parents aren't excited about it. They're tense. You're not excited about it. You're tense. You have a 30-minute conversation. Feels like three hours, and everybody's just looking forward to being over with. That's not great. We're not. Ex- we're not getting a lot. If of If you don't understand this conversation, listen to the very first Maxim and Marty podcast. <laughs> Where in the first 10 minutes, Marnie goes, yo, your mom was a sex ed teacher, right? And so, yeah, that it just scars you how it's done. Yeah, that, my most mortifying moment of life. Yeah, I cannot, I cannot even imagine. Um, but that is just an uncomfortable experience for everybody. So what I like to tell people is it's not about one 30-minute conversation. It's not about one 60-minute conversation. It's about 31-minute conversations. It's about 25-minute conversations. We want people to create an open dialogue with their kids so that they're ready to come back to it in the future. So be not judgmental. And that's not just in the words you're using. It's also your body language. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable. I, I'm not going to lie to you, but if you have your arms crossed and if you're kind of glaring and just showing how unhappy you are, that might get one message across. But again, it might change the way that your student talks to you, your child talks to you in the future. So making sure that you don't have judgmental um, appearance and the words that you're using are not shaming or or judgmental because again, it's not going to help, but also really focus on listening. It's so easy in those moments to talk and listen to me. I've talked so much today, Uh, but in those moments, it's really important to hear where, where your kid is, you know, have they thought about this before? How is it coming up in their life? Is it something they're just seeing in TV, culture, social media? Is it something that's making an appearance at parties they're at? Listen closely to kind of figure out how it is entering their life and how it is affecting their social interactions. Because as I mentioned earlier, those peer influences, those friend relationships at high school, they're even with family relationships. That's just the way it is. It's the the hierarchy of importance for teens because they spend so much time with their friends and they don't want to disappoint them and they want to have that perception of being cool in that eyes. So it's really important to be present, not on your cell phone texting. I do this sometimes too, where my kids are trying to tell me something and I'm just trying to finish a quick email or texting, be present in that moment, make eye contact, but just have open dialogue because sometimes kids are testing it out. You know, they're kind of sending up a trial balloon. I heard my friend did this and they're going to look to see how you respond to that before they might be talking more specifically about what's going on to them. So it's really about how you you handle that situation because your kid's going to come back to you. They're going to need to have these conversations more than once. 
You want to make That's it a good. fruitful conversation. It's really good, man. You guys, that was a gem. Just let that all sink in. That was so good. Um, but sometimes I wonder, like, is Matt speaking to our listeners, those parents, or is he just speaking to you, Marnie? And like, I, 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 I love, I love really you and your good. family, and I'm like, Marnie's gonna take this home. My question is, yeah, for sure, I'm taking it home. Um, I it was funny because my Katie's an ignition now, and yeah. it's so cool How because exciting. she talks pretty openly with me about her experience in small group. And she said the other day, uh, the other night, she said, "You know, um, we were talking in my small group, and I just think sometimes like you could just listen. And when you were saying like, listen, don't try to problem solve, don't try to then preach the goal of what you want to be said. And I think that's powerful." I think that's powerful for a teen to just say, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to be really, I'm just going to try to be better. And I'm just going to try to listen to you and hear what you're saying. Because she'll be like, but then you're like, okay, let's be positive though about the day or let's be this. Or, and I'm like, right, fair. It's yeah. fair. So I, uh, my kids are younger than yours, but I just guess kind of, I mean, I see you guys at celebration, but I just assume that you are probably a tremendous parent because I, I'm sure you have open dialogue. You're always wanting to okay, communicate, he, even about wait, things that might pause, be challenging. And pause, that's so great. pause, pause, pause. Do you think we should be totally honest about what we've done? In terms of maybe like sharing with drinking, drinking or sharing about what we've if we've smoked, uh, have we done weed? Sex before marriage. Sex before marriage. What, what would we've you done. Yeah. Yeah, part of the problem with being a parent is that you lived an adolescent life beforehand, right? Yep. <laughs> you, know, you think about, uh, I think about when you're a kid and you're in elementary school and you kind of just assume that your elementary school teacher just lives at school. Yep. You know, they're just always this person <laughs> that's always so kind and polite and doing those things. They don't have an outside life. They didn't do any of those other things. When you think about that with parenting, it's the same. And I think a lot of parents are trepidatious about having any of these conversations because they're worried about that exact same question. Well, mom or dad, did you do this? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be dishonest mm-hmm. because if you're dishonest, that also breaks a bond of trust, which is incredibly important with your kid. But you're also worried about saying potentially maybe you something you did or did not do, thinking it might influence them to think that it's okay in that way. Mm-hmm. And what I would just say is figure out how you want to have that conversation. I think it's different for every parent-child relationship. There are some parents who will say things like, you know, I made some mistakes when I was younger and I don't want that for you. You know, I, that's, I'm trying to share with you the wisdom that I have based on mistakes that I have. So you don't make some of the mistakes and go through some of the same hardships that I did. Um, there are some parents who've told me that they found it was really effective and helpful for them to, to come clean and say, Hey, I did this and this is what I did. And you know, this is what it did to me because I made those choices. Or, um, one thing we don't talk about very often is drugs today are also not the same as they were back when, especially if we're talking about like marijuana, you're talking about THC potency, what people were using like in the nineties, it's like four times as potent now. So we're not even really talking about the same drug. But when we're talking about how we talk about it with our kids, it's, it's really all about comfort. Um, you know, being dishonest, I think, again, can really break that bond. But if you're not comfortable sharing those things, I think that's okay, too. I mean, we're the parents. We're, we're all just doing the best we can on any given day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I remember is Jeannie Grevelos, when we were in Mops, she, um, a pastor's wife from a long time ago, I guess now. Um, but I remember her saying to us, mothers of, the, you know, babies and toddlers, and saying, your kids are going to leave your house someday, and you're knowing that they're going to go make a mistake. And guess what? 
they need to go make that mistake. And I remember, you know, a mom of like a three-year-old and a one-year-old being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but honestly, it resonated and it held strong. And even when you're saying like parents sharing the mistakes that they made, giving the grace to our kids to have those mistakes as well. Yeah, I think it's really important. Mistakes are always learning opportunities. Not that everybody learns a lesson from every mistake they make, but that is really one way we can grow. Challenges spur growth. And again, you can grow without challenge, but it happens in a really impactful way. There's a quote, and I don't know who it belongs to. I read it in a book. I think um, this book I read a long time ago called Communities Built in Hell. It's by Rebecca Solnit. And what she did is she looked at historical huge widespread events. So like the San Francisco earthquake, Hurricane Katrina. And what she studied was the organic response from those communities for the people in need. And it was really beautiful time and time again to see how all these people who were impacted came together as a community to address the needs. And and there's just something so powerful. It takes you back to kind of Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers always said, in times of hurt, in times of sadness, who do you look for? Look for the helpers. They'll always be there trying to do something good. But it was in that book, I believe in, in the forward, or maybe it was another book, there was a quote that said, the world breaks all of us, but in the end, most of us are strongest at the broken points. So we're all, no matter what we do as parents, our kids are going to make mistakes. Bad things are going to happen to them, no matter how much we don't want that to happen. But that's going to help them grow. That's how they're going to grow stronger. And those are going to be focal points for their life when they think about what they can handle and how they can address things. Think about it in my own life. When my parents got divorced, when my grandfather died, those were sad, earth-shattering events in my life. But I was able to look back on them and see them as strengths. I was able to find positives that have kind of served as guideposts for me moving forward as I'm trying to live my life and now trying to pass those messages forward to my friends, to my family members, to my kids. I just think Matt's like amazing. Pretty awesome, huh? <laughs> I think you're so good. <laughs> well, so much of just the environment I feel like I can ask you so many more questions, but we're like at an hour. Do you want like a really <laughs> dumb question? Yeah, go. Does anyone ever confuse you with like Ben Folds? Because don't you think he looks like Ben Folds? No. Ben Folds. You absolutely look really like Ben Folds. Different hair. It's the glasses. It's the glasses. No. Maybe oh ben wait. Do you want to talk about your eyes? Yeah. <laughs> You've been on quite a journey with your eyes. You yeah, just said been. glasses. Um, before that, I don't know what Ben Folds looks like. He doesn't like, look I've like you. Him, so I don't this know what is really like off. Currently, I disagree strongly. I also at one point in time looked like another uh, musician, Rivers Cuomo, during the Blue album. So like a long time ago, I didn't look like him at that time. And I don't look like him now. But if you look at the Blue the album, okay. to the, the cover of the Blue album, some people we'll say Google. that. So apparently I just missed my mark as, as a musician. I was in a really terrible punk band in high school. <laughs> and I was not incredibly good at my instrument. But I had fun doing it. But not surprisingly, we didn't... Get any airplay. <laughs> All right, um, he doesn't have a. Well, look, it's not that off. His hair's messed up. I'm, I'm, You're totally been full. No, never mind. Picture, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's a compliment or. The luckiest. Totally compliment. He sings the luckiest. I love that song. My yeah. girls. Ben Folds is like songs, one of my favorite yeah. musicians. Yeah, he's done some really talented stuff. I know a lot of people who really like him. I okay, so you musician. talked about two hardships, but your going through eye things has been a lot too, right? Yeah, so um, one of the things that I am dealing with now is I have an eye condition, and it's just one of those things that um, you don't even necessarily know that you have going on. I would go. I've always had bad eyes. I'm very um, nearsighted. I've always worn big glasses. You know, Ben folds an eye, of course. Um, <laughs> but I've always had uh, big glasses because I am so nearsighted. 
And uh, I noticed at one point, actually not long after I got married, that my eyes just weren't quite working with me the way that I wanted them to. You know, I was, I was just having some challenges and I went to the eye doctor and um, they did some tests and said, we don't know if you have anything going on, but we'd like to send you to a specialist. And I said, okay, you know, let's do whatever we need to do. Um, and they sent me to a specialist and found that I do, I have this condition, um, glaucoma. And I am unusual. I always try to be an overachiever. Um, mm-hmm. Most people in their 20s do not get glaucoma. Right. <laughs> it tends to be for people who are far older. You're at much greater risk as you hit like 40, 50, 60, 70 in those age range. But um, there are some things that make you more likely if you are nearsighted or if you had a trauma to an eye. And I did have a trauma in my right eye when I was younger. Um, so it's just one of those um, things that happened to me. And it was... I was diagnosed with it at a pretty challenging time. My mom was going through a significant um, health concern in which she needed to have heart surgery for an anatomic anomaly. Mm. So I was trying to help with her. Um, My wife and I were looking to buy a house at this time period. So I just had kind of a lot of these things happening at the same time. And um, it was challenging because you don't know. I started taking medication right away. I dropped that I have to put in, um, which kind of... Uh, impacted me, made me tired all the time. Um, they increase like stress and anxiety, which are not necessarily things people want to be welcoming into their lives. No. Um, but also for the first time, I kind of had to deal with um, an aspect of my own mortality. Yes. You know, I would not die from glaucoma, obviously, mm-hmm. but for the first time in my life, some a part of me was failing and there wasn't really something that I could do about it. And it did take some time to, to process that. And, um, I did, I did struggle with that mentally in terms of finding positives um, and getting comfortable with what my life was like with that. And, and my vision is great. I take the eye drops. Um, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. I've had a couple different surgeries um, regarding it, even as recently as last year. Um, I had one. Um, and they were pretty gnarly surgeries. I won't describe them because that won't be fun for anybody on this podcast. Um, but it has been a journey. And again, I've um, I've had some really great doctors um, who I've gotten to meet and work with, who I'm so appreciative, mm-hmm. not only of their medical knowledge, but just the way that they interact with me, the way they talk with me um, about what's going on. Um, the, the doctor who is actually the surgeon, it, he's always really intentional and he, you know, he's typing on the computer and doing everything. And he, when he's done, he turns to me, he makes eye contact directly and gives me the full process. This is where we started. This is where we're going. This is where we're at. Um, it gives me a full prognosis and takes the time to answer any questions. It's actually funny. Um, I saw him here last year at the daddy daughter dance. So I have two oh, young daughters. I have a six year old and a three year old. So, uh, we came to the daddy daughter dance was just like a couple months after my most recent surgery. And who do I turn around? And I see, uh, wow. <laughs> the doctor oh, that I work wow. with, uh, so it was fun to see him in a different context too with uh, with his kids here, and that was uh, a lot of fun. But yeah, it has been a challenge, and it's something that I don't actually talk about very much, um, just because it has kind of changed my worldview. Um, I do feel I've lost some of that positivity that I just had. Um, it sometimes takes me a second longer to recognize somebody's face than it did before. Um, but it's something I'm working with, and it's part of who I am now, you know, and I, I think that's important for me. There are some new fun things that happen too. I have um, some eye tissue that's not mine that I got from a donor. So now I have literally a second person's perspective on my body, you no know, kidding. Uh, so I'm seeing things from not only my eyes, but literally somebody else's. See, be an organ too. donor. Yep. And I am one and I'm so thankful for whoever the person was who, who checked that item uh, previously, but it is 
it's life changing for for other people. But yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So that is kind of when I think of like the, some of the focal points or challenges in my life. That's that's the current one, and I I am in a much better place than where I was. But on a daily basis, things can change. So it is something that's kind of always at the back of my mind. Yeah, well, that's fair wow. and that's honest. Yeah, well, thanks for talking to us about it. I feel like I could talk to you for like another hour. We didn't talk about so many other it's things. Incredible. Maybe we'll have you back on. Well, like I know some of what you're going to share, but like you just go further with stuff. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, this has been great. People will enjoy this. Yeah, I'm a little long-winded. No, you're not. You're I don't think people. I think you're the opposite. I think people are going to have richness from this. So, thanks yeah. for sharing all your wisdom. Oh, that's awesome. And maybe we'll do a Matt Cassidy take 2 and get into being a dad and a husband and Yeah, we didn't even ask about that. your children. I mean, I feel bad. <laughs> Emma collects rocks from every country, They're you know? real cute. My girls love Emma. They yeah. were just saying they had Sunday school and your little one was bringing up going, "Here's a crayon." And Katie's like, "Okay, thank you." And then Emma was like, oh, 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 I will handle her. Come on, you don't need to do that, honey. Like, such a little mom. Like, they love it. Like, oh, my girls so love sweet. their girls, especially in, uh, in the Sunday school, too. And it was so funny. Emma just joined the Cherubim Choir. And so this Sunday was her first opportunity. And they do a one and done here occasionally, which is yes. really wonderful. So you don't even have to have the commitments of coming on Wednesday nights for the practices, even though those are great. Um, and they were so kind when I dropped off my oldest daughter. They said my youngest daughter, who's three, could join, too. And she was so excited. And... Um, I cannot tell you how much joy it brought me to watch them sing. And my three-year-old, who is, um, we'll just say, independent-minded uh-huh. um, and strong-willed. and uh, But both kids just have a song in their heart all days at all times. They sing around on the house all the time. But I just loved watching how intently she was focusing on the choir director to do the motions. And I love coming to celebration. I love um, going to, to the church services all the time. But that was just a special treat for me. So it, was it was a special really treat fun. for all of us. So yeah. thanks for bringing them. Yeah, But thank you so much for having me. I was, I was a little oh, nervous yeah. coming in because I've listened to so many and everybody sounds so insightful. And I was like, not sure what I'm going to be adding to this conversation, I mean, but it's I really feel, great to be with you guys. I feel like it's circling back to the ice cream sandwich. I feel like you won. <laughs> I feel like you won, my friend. I feel like you crushed it. Yeah, crushed a podcast is what she did. Yeah. With an ice cream sandwich on the side. (laughs) Mic drop. Yeah. Well, thanks, Matt. Come back again and we'll get into everything else. Thanks. All right. Bye, everybody.